We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, March 23rd. A lot of free agent signings to get to from across the league. Yes, there is still some movement that we're going to get into uh, for fantasy purposes. We're also going to be talking some wide receiver strategy over on Underdog Best Ball Drafts. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Mario, what's going on? How are you doing today on this fine Thursday? Oh, fine. Uh, I've got a UPS delivery happening maybe like right during the show. So if I uh, run away without saying anything, uh, it might be because of that. I'll come back though. All right. Good to know uh, on all fronts. Uh, I told you that we needed to talk about this before the show, but uh, good good to know. Nonetheless, it's a um, signature required thing. This first time that's ever happened to me. It's awful. Oh, gosh. Yeah. A little throwback, a little old school. I got a uh, I got a coffee grinder in the mail yesterday. So that that was pr- pretty much the, the highlight of my week. Thus if far. it was a mere coffee grinder, I wouldn't have even, you know brought this added this to your list of concerns but uh yeah i'll 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 come back if i run off wordlessly noted noted all right well um in advance of that in anticipation of why don't we get to some of the latest news and notes uh from around the league because even after that that initial wave of free agent signings happens as the new league year gets underway um you know there's still a bunch of movement that goes on that that of course uh, has a major impact, especially for fantasy. And the way that the the wide receiver market was was slow to take shape uh, this year, and and you know basically all the fantasy positions outside of quarterback been slow to take shape. We still have a, a couple of massive dominoes with with Rodgers and Jackson still to to find their uh, next places to play uh, for the twenty twenty three season. So it's been slow moving, uh, it, all things considered. But um, we got some things yesterday that that uh came in the works first uh, i believe i'm getting that this chain of events correctly mario michael hardman signs with the new york jets and then uh, and everyone's like wait a second they already they already got alan lazard they already have garrett wilson 
Um, you know, what, how many of these guys do, do they need? Is he even on the, the Rogers wish, wish list? Is he allowed into on this? Um, and then also, what are they going to do with Elijah Moore? Well, uh, problem solved there. Elijah Moore uh, traded to the Cleveland Browns. Um, I think it's been long thought that, or at least not not long thought, but at least since the start of last season, the way that things unfolded, that that Moore and the Jets were were kind of uh, not not going to fit long term, regardless of who the OC was. I think a fresh start was needed on on both sides. But uh, let's kick things off with, with Hardman. What is what does this do for you? Were, was this an anticipated potential landing spot for you when it comes to Mecole, and, and what can he do uh, with Gang Green? Well, I had no idea what Hardman's kind of market was or um, even what most teams even think of him as. Like, I I can imagine some teams thinking he's an outside receiver. We use him on vertical routes in our offense. I could imagine other teams saying, oh, no, he's, he's just a slot guy. You have to run him from the slot. He's too small to play outside. But uh, for teams that prioritize speed on the boundary, and I don't know where the Jets come in here. I mean, Lazard is primarily a slot receiver, I would say, like a big slot receiver. He can play outside. You just don't really want him doing that unless it's like, I don't know, like a a third and short play action kind of thing, or you're in the opposing red zone. When the field gets smaller, basically, Lazard can play outside, but usually he's in the slot. So I could imagine Hardman being a pretty good fit as a, not strictly an outside receiver. He could play inside or out, I think. But for the Jets, he makes a lot of sense because he's out. If he's outside, he's kind of isolating one of the safeties on one of the sides of the field. And in theory, it should free up either or both of Lazard, Wilson, uh, obviously Wilson more so uh, projecting for usage there. But uh, I think it sets up well because uh, a lot of teams don't do a good enough job of thinking of like the spatial elements, uh, the, the sort of just physical balance uh, of an offense and they kind of think like let's just accumulate guys who are just vaguely good at you know running slants and curls and catching passes and uh, you need space for those guys you can't have four of them running the same routes at the same time you need some kind of uh, person creating space or some some source of space for which these guys to run can run through and I think Mecole Hardman um, with the Chiefs he had some struggles as like running into traffic, uh, holding onto the ball in traffic and running like option type routes, which Mahomes has uh, so many of in that offense. And if you can't run those option routes well with Mahomes, they'll kind of put you on the bench, which happened a lot with uh, obviously the last two years with Hardman. But uh, when he's on the field, he's effective. Uh, if, if he's running, I think more like track meet kind of routes, like a track meet kind of offense suits Hardman a lot better. Just have him run posts and fly routes. If, if the defense knows it's coming, fine. They still have to run with him. You know, make, make somebody work, at least uh, make somebody, uh, uh, you know, have to catch their breath after a few plays. And if uh, if it doesn't go to Hardman, at least he pulled someone out of the play. And if that someone slips up or doesn't take the speed threat seriously enough, I, I don't know why so many people have lost sight of this. Hardman is actually very good on deep routes. The problem was with the Chiefs, when they were getting those two high responses from the defenses, they – we're just sitting deep on those routes that he was getting open on so easily as a rookie. And then underneath, he just kind of wasn't good enough to, to sort of like uh, after Hill and, and Kelsey had had their pickings, Hartman, you know, couldn't make enough of an impact on the, the shallower parts. But if you only ask him to run those distance routes, uh, it's a good way to keep the safety high. And uh, Rogers with the deep ball, the deep ball that he has, 
I think it'd actually be really pretty tough to stop to Hardman deep, or it's at least it's going to be the kind of thing where uh, if Wilson and Lazard are not getting open underneath for, you know, chain moving uh, reliable gains, then the big play for Hardman will be there and they'll be prepared to actually, you know, capitalize on it. Right. Because Hardman last year, you know, his a dot was, was just eight yards uh, down the field. That's not really um, an area of the field that suggests that the, the, the chiefs were getting the most out of his, uh, vertical speed. Obviously, you can't really make too many gripes about about the Chiefs' offense. They they are the Super Bowl champions. Um, but when it comes to Hardman, there there's room for optimized uh, usage, and, and we'll see um, if the Jets can can unlock that a little bit. Um, and then you know, as it comes to Wilson, Garrett Wilson, I don't want to mischaracterize anything that that you've said, but um, is it is this fully something that that um, the Jet the Miko Hardman signing? Is it something the Jets needed to do as far as adding that space element to where uh, Wilson doesn't get overused uh, underneath or, or also, uh, you know, have the A dot increase, but then the volume dro- drops off? Well, I think with a player like Wilson, uh, the theory is almost like you can't overuse him. So you try to find as many ways as possible to create usage for him. And uh, the, the reasons you wouldn't be able to get the ball, the ball to Garrett Wilson would be something to the effect of like, oh, the safety, you know, the safety in this corner have the beats down on these, you know, routes that we run and uh, they're jumping it and we need to, you know, make them pay for that. Like that's, that's a situation where Hardman's useful because he can, he can make that safety, you know, even, even without actually acting on the threat, they can just kind of put Hardman on the same side as Wilson if they want to do this and dare that safety to crash toward Wilson again, you know, because if they, if they do, they understand it as cutting loose Hardman deep, which even if it, as a defense, you don't care that much about Hardman in the game plan, it's something you're loath to do. You don't want to be like the safety who gives up the wide open deep touchdown, which is a real risky run when you let Hardman go one-on-one vertically. So um, I think what Hardman does is he, he uh, just gives them another way to free up Garrett Wilson, who I think, I don't know, they might want to get him like upwards of a third of their target volume or something like that. Lazard's going to take something too, but Lazard, uh, like Hardman, I think, um, ideally is kept more toward that one target per uh, like 10 snaps kind of thing. Whereas with Wilson, it's they're trying, I, last year it must have been like one every seven, and I bet they're trying to get it down to even like one every six or something. All right. I, I, I see. I see the theory behind all of this uh, for for the Jets. And do we think that Corey Davis is as good as gone? Then, yeah, uh, it's such a weird market of veterans right now. Uh, I guess a receiver, it's pretty much picked over aside from the trade things. But uh, I don't know if it's possible that they bring back Davis on a pay cut or something. They they might just be done with him. It would be understandable enough that they say like, we can't afford to have this like starter caliber player who's only available like five weeks a year it, it, it messes with our depth chart too much so that might be their viewpoint otherwise davis is in for a pay cut wherever he's playing next year you know Corey davis you are a raven congratulations that's uh that sounds right actually yeah that that, right. that that feels on brand shrewd um, bargain another shrewd bargain at receiver for the costa oh, love it um Let's see here. Uh, so let's get to Elijah Moore. Um, super promising as a prospect. I thought he showed some flashes 
in his rookie season. And last year, oof, put a hurting uh, on on his believers as far as um, you know the the fantasy investors uh, were concerned. It obviously didn't pan out. Uh, you know, pretty much gets jumped immediately as far as the um, you know the Garrett Wilson uh, goes in the target distribution and. Again, he, he's gone now. Um, he, he's in Cleveland. Um, we have two outside receivers in, in Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones. We have uh, Deshaun Watson having knocked off the rust a little bit late in the season last year. Didn't look particularly good, of course, but um, you know, there's something to be said for at least just getting uh, back in the fray a little bit, uh, getting used to, to the live action, as it were. So what are, you th- what are your thoughts here on on Moore's fit with, with the Browns and, you know, is this, is this a move that you felt like the Browns needed to, to make as far as bolstering that, that slot option? Well, slot receiver is not like a premium position. They didn't really need to like um, urgently go get one, but it's one of those things like if it's hanging around and you can just get a good slot receiver upgrade, go for it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's real production. It's just, in theory, it's like production that's easier to find than at some other parts of the field, other depths of the field. But I think with more, it's pretty simply the case that um, whereas in, in 2021, the Jets kind of maybe they didn't make them a focal point of the offense, but at the very least, they kind of let everything just sort of play out, I feel like. And more uh, in that one year played almost not exclusively, but but very much primarily in the slot and primarily at low depths. I want to say his, his depth of target was like seven something his rookie year and something changed last year. Uh, he's played, especially earlier in the year, he played outside primarily. They moved him into the slot as the year went on. But in the first like six weeks, they primarily played Garrett Wilson in the slot. And it, it uh, that's not because Wilson was limited to the slot. They, like I said, they moved him more to the boundary as the year went on. And by the end of the year, after their little uh, cold war uh, between the Jets and Moore, they put Moore back on the field and mostly in the slot. But even then, they were calling routes too far downfield, like 10-plus yards downfield. And Moore is the kind of receiver who can make some plays downfield. I mean, he's got he runs like the 4-3-6 or whatever. Uh, but he's only like 5-9 and 3 fourths or something like that. And uh, he's, he's not like a jump ball guy. So the further you send a player like that downfield, the less effective you make them. And I think they were specifically sending him to those depths because they were dialing up so much for Garrett Wilson. So I think Joe Douglas is pretty awful as a GM for a lot of reasons. But for this one particular case, we have in more a player who um, has certain limitations. Like he's, he's primarily a slot receiver. He's primarily an underneath, uh, underneath or maybe intermediate receiver. And in that capacity, if, if, if like if you have usage to distribute from those parts of the field, he projects very well. He ranks, you know, he, he profiles as, as quite good, actually. So if you're taking more in the second round of the 2021 draft, wouldn't you sort of in your mind already have a bit of a vision, a budget laid out where you're like, well, let's take more. We understand he's just a slot receiver. We understand he's mostly just underneath but we're going to clear out all this usage for him. And that's going to give us a good bang for our bucket receiver. Like the second round pick is going to give us these really good returns and it's going to be great. And then instead of seeing to that or thinking that through that way in the first place, they take Garrett Wilson, understandable enough. I mean, I understand taking a player like Garrett Wilson, but even with Garrett Wilson and even with Elijah Moore on the same team, 
they could have run an offense differently than they did last year. They could have made Garrett Wilson run further downfield, something they chose not to do because they knew it would be a downward pressure on his per snap target volume. It's harder to get targets the further downfield you run. So they said, in the end, the, the difference was, you know, they called downfield routes for more basically as a decoy. And even to the extent that it wasn't explicitly a decoy function, he was still worse at it than he would have been on the alternative to the point that it was effectively rendering him useless. So this is all on the Jets, in my opinion, Douglas, the coaching staff, whoever we want to blame. Um, I'll blame mostly Douglas because he is the one in charge. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I think you can see in the trade framework with Cleveland that Douglas wanted it specifically to be framed as like, we got a second rounder. We got our money back for Elijah Moore, everyone. Right. You, know, you didn't, you, you, you just wasted a year, uh, two years of his career and two years of his uh, contract equity or whatever. And uh, you, you used him as a chip to move up in a draft two years after you drafted him, which is traditionally a one round uh, devaluation per year delayed. So uh, yeah, not, not a good job by Joe Douglas. Um, good pickup for the Browns. And uh, he should function well there because Cooper and people's Jones are so good outside. Like they don't, they don't need to get in the slot. No, exactly. So that I think this sets up well for, for more in that sense. He's like a 10th round guy um, on, on underdog best ball. Uh, what one element that, that stands out to me, that's like a little bit counter to what I, what I was expecting from him coming out of Ole Miss is the catch rate has been perilously low thus far. And, you know, the, the average up to target of over 11 yards down the field, each of those first two years, like you said, maybe, maybe that's a little bit too far. Um, for, for, you know, what, what his optimal usage might be, but is, is there anything that you can kind of reason behind why, why Elijah Moore is catching just 55% of his targets thus far? Is it, is it just quarterback play? Yeah. I, I forgot that his uh, depth of target was about the same the rookie year, but the, uh, the rookie year was almost entirely from the slot in that sample. And, um, even though it's low in general for the relative to the Jets baseline, it was not okay. Uh, like it was because, you know, the Jets completing like 54% of their passes or whatever um, catching 43 or 77 is actually pretty good. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's a, a low catch rate, I think uh, certainly and maybe primarily because of the Jets quarterbacks, but also because of the depth of the target being too far downfield, like generally depth of target and catch rate is a trade-off in addition to, uh, you know, the further downfield, the fewer targets you drop or snap. It's also generally true, reliably true. The further downfield, the cat, the lower the catch rate. So you lower the depth of target to like seven or whatever it should be for Elijah Moore. And I think he's uh, in whatever the specifics aside, you're going to get a above baseline producer as long as he's playing in the slot, as long as it's under eight and a half yards, uh, under eight and a half average depth of target. All right, I, I like it. I like it. And and uh, so you know, tying tying all that together now, like you you look at Elijah Moore versus uh, someone like. KJ Osborne, who goes in in a very similar ADP, uh, DPJ himself, his, his new teammate, um, also goes in that same range. So, like, do, do you have a preference uh, between the, those three as, as it stands? We could almost make like a half episode out of it uh, in the future, John. But uh, I'm so out on all just non Justin Jefferson Vikings, uh, okay. and that that definitely includes Osborne. I, I know people. I've been wanting to see it with him for the past year and a half, but I don't think it's there. And his numbers would look really bad last year if it wasn't for that 
ridiculous second half collapse by the Colts defense in that one game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I thought Osborne was already perilously overexposed as a wide receiver three. And if, if the Vikings really try to do this thing with like Osborne's are a wide receiver two now, I, I think it can get worse yet. I think, I think Kirk cousins was bad last year and can get a lot worse yet. So I definitely prefer both Browns receivers over Osborne. It's, it's actually right about where the people's Jones sort of area in the AP is, but where it gets tough. And I don't know how to call it between those two. I mean, in theory, the trade-off should be with more, you're looking at fewer snaps, but a higher per snap target rate such that he still gets more targets than people's Jones and therefore maybe more catches. But people's Jones being the kind of athlete, he is the kind of, you know, big yards per target that he's had in each of his three years. Um, he might be the better option for like, if you're looking for big plays. So in, in, for instance, underdogs, best ball scoring of half point PPR. I think people's Jones gains ground on Elijah Moore there. Whereas with full point PPR, it's, it's maybe a little bit better suited to more. Good. I mean, that's, that's a good point there when, when it comes to the, the scoring and, and, you know, what each of those guys, um, offer as far as the, their game and their, their fantasy, where their fantasy production, uh, is coming from. And actually, I, I think that that's a good segue point, uh, to talk about, uh, underdog this week, uh, before we get there, the 2022 NFL season is over, but fantasy football never, fantasy football season never stops over at underdog, the easiest place to play fantasy football right now you can draft an underdogs the big board tournament with 1 million in total prizes and 200,000 given out to first place i just drafted a couple of those earlier this week so that 200k uh surely mine uh think you know which incoming rookies will burst onto the scene in 2023 if so now's your chance to draft them at a value all you have to do is join the big board draft your fantasy team and that's it In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest scores at the end of the season win. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store, and sign up with the promo code RWNFL. And not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but we will also hook you up with a six-month subscription to everything Rotowire has to offer for free. That's underdogfantasy, promo code RWNFL. All right, Mario. So let's talk some receivers. So as I mentioned uh, in that uh, ad read, done. Uh, I've picked up um, on my best ball drafting uh, over this last week. You know, we we got about a month until the draft. I want I want to you know stockpile s- some shares before things uh, really start moving around. We're also a little bit past that initial uh, wave of free agency, and I, I thought that receiver has been a relatively consistent source of frustration for me in the, in these drafts because you know run, running back obviously stocked in the first two rounds i mean everything is stocked in the, in the, in the first two rounds but but the the relative drop offs at both positions once you get into the third round is is really interesting to me um so i guess i, I want to lead things off for you say you're picking outside of the top 5 somewhere between 5 and 10 um who would your preferred uh, receiver options be between say the likes of like Stefan Diggs, Devonte Adams, Cooper cup and Tyreek Hill. Well, uh, I've taken Cooper cup ahead of all of them, but that was mostly just because of where the, the draft slot was. It was kind of like, if I wanted to get a Cooper cup share, I had it. It, it made as much sense then as ever, because he was unlikely to be available later anyway. Whereas 
Uh, I have Tyreek Hill ranked about the same as Cooper Cup, but uh, I, I, you know, because you can get him a pick or two later, I usually try to specifically get him a pick or two later rather than uh, the few, you know, I, I'm not loaded with Cooper Cup teams, so it's, it's like occasional exposure. I want to get there, but I have him ranked with about the same as Tyreek Hill. Uh, obviously, Stafford, very much a required condition for, for sure. Cup to be ranked that high, but we just saw it in 2021. Stafford Cup, McVay is really all they need to put up, you know, almost 1,800, 1,900 yards. So I'm, I'm higher on Cup than most people, but I'm also really high on Tyreek Hill. And um, I think he doesn't really need Tua to be back to, to be worth it. Like ideally Tua would be there and I, I more or less expect that, but even if they go to some backup or even if, I don't know, the off chance like Tua is unavailable and they sign Tom Brady or something. I, I think McDaniel and Tyreek Hill are, are the part that made that go. Not really so, so much Tua, but uh, it's after that, that I would probably, or I'm sorry, I'd have Diggs also ranked about the same as those guys actually. But again, I kind of take him, Later than I do Cup and, and Hill just because I can. Sometimes Diggs falls just too far. Just like last year. Nothing different than last year. Same thing's happening. Diggs falls too far. Like, if you believe Josh Allen is going to be the quarterback for the Bills and the Bills are going to run the offense as they have the last two years, Stephon Diggs should almost never fall out of the first seven picks, in my opinion. I, 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 I don't think there's anything wrong with taking him as high as, like, three or four, honestly. Yeah, I'd... I don't either. Um, I, I just, for whatever reason, maybe like the, the way the last season ended um, kind of let left a sour taste in, in my mouth when it comes to digs. But, um, you know, certainly uh, want to stockpile some shares, late first round shares uh, in particular. Um, but uh, one, once you get past the, the second round, I think that there's kind of an interesting tier drop off where, where once you once DK Metcalf, Metcalf comes off the board, which is usually early to, to mid third. Um, then you kind of reach this weird dead zone, or it's not a dead zone. These are these are good players, but um, a little bit less uh, of slam dunks, in my opinion. So you have Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper, DeAndre Hopkins, Calvin Ridley, Mike Williams. Which of those guys are, are you going after, if any, or or is this a, a tier that like you you're just hoping to skip over and, and already have like your, your first one or two receivers already locked up? Actually, I often pick receiver when these guys are going off the board. I'm pretty much out on Debo. I think he's awesome, but I just don't think the 49ers are going to throw enough. And his durability concerns are substantial enough that it's I, I just can't really take him until probably something more like the fifth or something, which he never falls to. So in this range, uh, pretty clearly to me, Calvin Ridley is the top target. And I don't even think you really need to project much growth for Trevor Lawrence for that to be the case. But if you do project growth for Trevor Lawrence, then and I do, then I think Ridley's kind of going too late. As much as I understand why he's going as late as he is, I, I get it. The the unknown, the generally unprecedented scenario as it is. But if Calvin Ridley is Calvin Ridley, then this is simple. Like, I like Christian Kirk a lot too. I think they're both going to be really good this year. But Calvin Ridley's like a fourteen hundred yard player with Trevor Lawrence, so. Uh, I'm going with Calvin Ridley there primarily. Also like Cooper more than Debo in part because I am expecting Deshaun Watson to do quite a bit better this year. Hopkins is a little bit tougher. Uh, I also like, I, I don't really like to, but sometimes I take Mike Williams in this spot, like where, in, in situations where I'm like, oh, come on. I hope, I hope Ridley falls to me and he doesn't. I 
maybe usually take Williams in that case. And it's, it's more Interesting. like, I know you don't like, you never like taking Mike Williams. Well, he gets a lot of targets in the offense, and I still think Keenan Allen might get cut. So to me, Mike Williams is a very, it's, I don't want to say this about a guy who's got had the injury history that he has, but he's per, per game projection wise, per snap projection wise, he's extremely high floor mm-hmm. for that range. And it, it is often easy if you don't take a receipt, if you're not leaving this like fourth round spot with at least two receivers, it's pretty easy to, to wait till your next pick. And in uh, and, and some of these drafts, it's worse than others. But if, you, if you're in a draft where there's like two or three zero running back teams, you might see like nine receivers go off the board before your next pick. No, exactly. Like it, it's been again uh, really tricky to navigate, and and I feel like that that's a clear tier that that dries up. But probably after Williams or, or DJ Moore, um, I, I'd say I have like, Kirk pretty close. I actually have Kirk ahead of DJ Moore just because I don't really know what to make of the Bears' passing game. But yeah, there's it gets really like I really don't want to be in a position as a lot of teams are where I'm looking at like Christian Watson and Michael Pittman as my wide receiver two or something. At the very least, I'd much rather go with some players going later than them, but I also don't want to be in that market in the first place. So I I hate that, that part of the draft too. And it's again, like I don't hate those players in in a vacuum, but you don't feel great about them as your wide receiver too. And so someone that I've collected a decent amount of exposure to as a result I think Terry McLaurin's still one of the best receivers yeah. in the league, and he He's stands out to me as a as a clear value. And I understand that there, there's some consternation about the quarterback situation there in Washington, you know. But we don't know what what Sam Howell uh, is going to be, and and uh, you know, I guess J- Jacoby Brissett comes in a, as a bit of like a you know a safe, safety policy. Oh, that. Suppose you, you might need to go sign. Yeah, sorry. Uh, hold on just a second. I'll be right All back. Right. I will continue my, my screed on, on one Terry McLaurin. Um, but, you know, as, as we saw last year, we, we knew going into the year when, when it came to Amari Cooper that Jacoby Brissett would be his, his starting quarterback. And it, it wasn't always sexy, but, you know, it, uh, Amari Cooper was able to get the job done. I envisioned something similar uh, with, with McLaurin where the talent kind of supersedes um, maybe a, a a relative lack of quarterback talent, a relative lack of quality when it comes to the, the targets that he's getting, whether it is uh, Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett. But but I I will just kind of put a, a ringing endorsement on McLaurin, uh, especially where where he's going in drafts. Uh, I don't know how much of that you caught, Mario. I caught a bunch of it. Sorry, I tried to mute the mic, but apparently I got a hit a different mute button. Oh, no, not, not at all. Not at all. Um, so that anyway, I, I actually, so I think Howell is actually the best case scenario for McLaurin. Cause he's a chucker and mm-hmm. McLaurin, if he's, if he's just going deep, you know, getting tons and tons of air yards, that's fine. And I actually expect Howell to be um, the best fit possible actually among the first, uh, I think it's safe to say among the quarterbacks McLaurin has had so far, Howell would actually be the best fit for him. Um, I'm pumped to hear that. Uh, I'm going to continue to get like, again, I, I don't expect the market to really change too much on, on McLaurin. I, I think that he's going to continue to be a value basically all the way until the preseason that they're, they're obviously not going to change a whole lot through the draft, whether it's a quarterback or receiver because they already have Dotson. So I feel like he's just, you know, we're not going to hear anything that, that really like gives helium. So I think that McLaurin's going to remain that this really nice value where, where he's going. 
I think some people might come to their senses about like Pittman and Watson, like Christian Watson and Michael Pittman and even Jerry Judy should not be going ahead of McLaurin. I mean, that's, that's just silly. So um, I think that kind of stuff might catch up to, to reasoning, but the highest, like the absolute highest McLaurin could be going, even if people do kind of catch up on stuff would be like 45 or something. So um, I don't have a ton of exposure just because I'm usually I'm like, I'm already, I guess, looking to a different position or something by the time I'm on the, like, I've already taken like Kirk or uh, whatever Ridley. Um, but I would like to get more McLaurin. I, I, I will say though, if it's Brissett, that's bad news in my opinion. Not that Brissett's necessarily worse than Howell for real life purposes, but for fantasy, that's bad news for everybody. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that could be bad. I don't know. I, I was just saying that the Brissett still kept Cooper, Florida. I know that they're, he they're did. Different. He's just not a deep ball guy, you know, and it's, it's like McLaurin's just so unbelievably good. Like it's, it's easy to forget because he's been on that stupid team this whole time, but McLaurin can do pretty much the same thing as anybody else. Like it's, he's, he's, he's about as good as there is. Yeah. I, I love scary Terry. Um, I loved, I loved what I saw for it from Dotson late last year. So I, I think yeah. Washington actually is sneakily, uh, a, a decent cheap stack uh, that that you can that you can target again. You get McLaurin, you get uh, Dotson about three rounds later, and then you know you get Howell with your quarterback three, and and you know things things might uh, end up working out. Uh, as we round things out on on this wide receiver discussion, Mario, who's one guy you've been getting in the sixteenth round or later consistently at the receiver position? Sixteenth uh, round, so I've been taking a lot of a uh, couple rookies in, in, in the twentieth round. I take Xavier Hutchinson a bunch. I don't really have anything, you know, t- tangible, substantive to give anybody on that one. I just think Hutchinson is really good, and I, I feel like people are going to eventually notice. And uh, I, I think when you turn on the tape, it's it's clear he's quite good, but he doesn't have the draft capital. In the meantime, he's not like a freaky athlete, so you can get him in the twentieth. Uh, I've taken him a bunch. I, I think. He's, he's pretty low risk, high upside as far as the range goes. Tyler Scott, uh, apparently he's not going to go any higher. I, I still feel like there's a bunch of like ADP adjustment to be made of people just kind of looking for the first time or, you know, doing their own research for the first time as opposed to just doing what somebody else told them to uh, in the meantime. So Tyler Scott is someone who should start costing more because he's, he's going to go in the second or third round. And clearly the current ADP doesn't recognize that. The current ADP thinks he's going to go in like the fifth. He's not. So uh, he's someone that I take quite a bit. And um, otherwise, uh, I think so. 16th round would be something I, I like. Think, I think we've got it covered uh, as far as. Oh, Deontay like, Hardy. I like quite a bit uh, with Buffalo. I think he's actually like a pretty ideal best ball pick because he's so high uh, depth of target, high yards after the catch. Oh, I, I, I like that idea as well. And they obviously jettisoned uh, McKenzie. Uh, earlier Finally, like this I, week, they listened to me personally. They did, and they, they um, directly disobeyed me. I'm, I I always like McKenzie because he went to Georgia, but I I, I like him too. He's a you know wide receiver four or five, not the wide receiver three. Yes, yeah, a little bit, a lot overexposed last year. But um, let's go. Let's uh, or that's going to round it out. Uh, sorry uh, for our underdog best ball segment again. Get in on that underdog promo, RWNFL. Get your first deposit matched up to $100. Get that six-month Rotowire subscription. It's going to work out. Go ahead. Again, that is RWNFL. Sticking with receivers, Mario. Brandon Cooks, on the move. Again, and this is not a pre-recorded thing. 
Brandon Cooks has been traded. Uh, once again, I believe this is the fourth time uh, he has been uh, dealt in his career. Um, so um, other than his U-Haul stuff, uh, but you know, at least he doesn't have to move super far, uh, just staying in the state of Texas. You like this move for the Cowboys? Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things that I think is maybe actually getting overlooked credit-wise just because people are still so pissed off at Jerry Jones for trading away Amari Cooper last year and now more or less acquiring Brandon Cooks for the same terms. Uh, I guess it could be seen as you know a retraction without actually making it a formal retraction, like admitting you're wrong without admitting it. I don't know if that's driving some of the kind of like indifference toward this, but I think Cooks is very clearly a really good receiver and um, to the point that he might actually infringe a little tiny bit on the target share of CeeDee Lamb uh, relative to last, because because Noah Brown's just some guy. Uh, Michael Gallup was playing at like 80% when he was playing. Uh, they had, what's his name? They, they like they, that Dennis Houston guy that I still never learned the name of. Like he was playing... Uh, so yeah, those the uh, Cavante Turpin, T.Y. Hilton. So these are the players that Ceedee Lamb was competing with for targets. So Cooks is the kind of guy. Um, he's not like a wide receiver one uh, exactly, but I think he could be the lead receiver on an above average passing game. So um, he's behind Ceedee Lamb for sure. I just mean I just I mentioned this all to say this is really great news for Dak Prescott, and I don't know how much people are noticing that because a lot of people too are just like. Oh, Dak sucks. I'm so sick of Dak. Dak's terrible. Like they, they, they do this like every two and a half years or whatever, where he has a, a bad game on, on national television or something. That the, the, the Dak sucks uh, confetti is dropped again and the parade comes out. And uh, it's about to go back again, as it always does. Uh, switching out Dalton Schultz for Jake Ferguson is a big upgrade, in my opinion. And maybe that maybe that's how CeeDee Lamb's target volume stays the same, even with Cooks getting there. Because like Ferguson... Uh, part of why I like him more than Schultz is because he can make contributions without drawing targets. So Jake Ferguson can be a greater like war contributor than Schultz while taking fewer targets. So he can, he can part of why he can be better is that he helps without getting in the way of lamb and cooks and it, it Gallup too should be better this year being fully healthy. So um, I, I was never as big of a Gallup fan as some people, but he's, I think no worse than like average as a starter. Yeah, he's solid. Like that. So if you're talking like borderline average starters or wide receiver three and a borderline wide receiver one is your wide receiver two and a top 10 receiver is your wide receiver one, that's a combination of uh, targets that Dak hasn't really had. So um, I think people should expect him to benefit quite a bit from that, even if they're not like gung ho about Cooks specifically, although I view it as a huge upgrade. Yeah, I, I like Cooks. I'm I'm certainly a lot more interested in him and in, in best ball drafts now that now that he's in a competent offense. And I, I think that, you know, it, it takes some of the pressure off of CD lamb. I think that I, I'm more yeah. comfortable taking, taking lamb uh, where he goes. I do, I do need, I I'd kind of like forgotten about where, where Dak really fits in, into the calculus of, of all of that. in in the, in the drafting sense, I hadn't really scooped him up it's yet, but huge. yeah, but, I, I think yeah. it moves him up like a whole round or something for me. Okay. So I'm definitely gonna have to take a look at that. And then do you also think that, uh, with Ezekiel Elliott being gone, that they, that they just simply throw it a little bit more this year, too? I don't know what to make of that Ronald Jones signing. I still think Ronald Jones can play snaps on a good offense, and uh, especially if you're, you're letting him run 
between the tackles a little bit. So I, I don't know. I don't know how much of that is them saying Elliot took X carries per game. Jones will take this many less than that. I don't know if that's something they're viewing it as at all, but uh, yeah, if, 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 if Elliot's uh, carries are not viewed as almost one-to-one to Ronald Jones or maybe some other rookie that they get or something, the slack kind of has to go to the air. And if that's happening at the same time that Schultz leaves, I, I think this could be pretty close to a career year for cooks, even with lamb pushing whatever, like 1500 yards himself. That, I mean, that would be massive. Um, that, that would be absolutely huge. And, and let's unpack Ferguson a little bit more for the uninitiated um, because it, it's totally understandable uh, to not be uh, highly familiar with, with one Jake Ferguson, but having lived in Madison, like, like we, like we do, or like we have uh, Jake Ferguson, uh, grandson of local legend, Barry Alvarez and for a uh, longtime player for the Wisconsin Badgers. Good player. The numbers, he never really improved upon necessarily after his red redshirt freshman season, but they were always pretty solid. The athleticism is not great. We just got to put that out there. But like you said, he's, he's not a one dimensional tight end. Like he can actually do stuff as a blocker. And I think he's good enough as a pass catcher. He's not going to run away from the defense or, or anything like that, but I think he can be an asset. And right now he's going in the 19th round of best ball drafts. And I think that there's, I was thinking about this a lot, maybe too much um, where Ferguson, now that he's number one on, on that Dallas depth chart, I think a lot of people are going to be drawn to mocking a tight end to Dallas in the first round. And I think that that's going to essentially freeze Ferguson's ADP where it is, but I think that Ferguson will be better than whichever tight, except for Michael Mayer would be better right now than any tight end that the, that the Cowboys would be taking in the first round. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. It's, it's hard to rule out the tight end thing in the first round. I just don't really, I'm trying to think of where I feel like they have enough concerns on like the offensive and um, eventually defensive line, like as much as they were loaded last year, they, they also had a bunch of veterans and like an expensive veteran and Demarcus Lawrence. So uh, because Ferguson and also Hendershot, like, Hendershot is a tiny bit of a concern for me too, relative to Ferguson because Hendershot, he, he was a really good pass catcher in the big 10 and is a pretty good athlete. Um, but Ferguson is the one who should, like you said, be starter. And it's, basically because he's, he's a really good blocker and he's a good check down target. And mm-hmm. that to me is, is it, it, it's, it's, it's important to look at like Dalton Schultz, not just for the number and like how high the number goes. Uh, you have to look at where he's actually functioning in the offense and, and see how this budgets out, how this space is out. And uh, Schultz accumulated these numbers. Yes. But he did it only in parts of the field where there were better, there were basically better things to be doing. And, and that the ball was going to him was not necessarily a victory for the offense. So uh, in this part of the field where Schultz was running underneath, Ferguson is just athletic enough to run too. Like he's, like you said, he's not a very good athlete, but it's pr- primarily the longer speed is the issue. Like he ran a four, eight, one at the combine, but his uh, broad jump was pretty good. His three cone was pretty good. So you can see he's got these like short area movements. And since that's the only area where Schultz was threatening in the first place, I think he's actually pretty close to as useful as Schultz as a pass catcher. And at least if the offense is going to be designed that way and, and they keep that design. Um, and the four, in the, meantime, eight, the four, eight, I like to call that the Isaac Nada zone. 
Yeah, and I'm like not a though. Uh, for Ferguson, uh, I mean, he played a bunch of snaps last year. It was easy to yeah. miss because he wasn't running many routes. Is the problem? He literally run like four or five routes a game, playing 25, 30 snaps. So basically, this year he should be playing 45, 50, 55, and he'll be getting I don't know like five targets per 55. And your hope is that being low on the list of defensive concerns, he'll get a high catch rate and continue to capitalize with yards after the catch, which I don't know why he was so good at that. If I, I don't even, I don't remember anecdotally if that's like screen setups, but he was getting great results. So if he can keep giving like that much yardage after the catch, catching like 75 plus percent of his targets and play, you know, uh 700 plus snaps in a Dak Prescott offense where Dak Prescott throws 30 plus touchdowns. Like that's how, it would all work out really well for Ferguson as a, a best ball, like depth kind of, or, you know, deeper tight end formats in general, I guess I should say, because it's going to be tough to know. It'll be about impossible actually to guess when he has his good games, but he should be on the field a lot being like a plus contributor on an above average offense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in one Jake Ferguson, at least for maybe like right Higby, now. maybe he's like a Higby kind of player, you know, where it's like he, he blocks and he catches screens and he gets like nine yards every time. And, that's about it. Good enough, you know. Good enough, you know. That that's that's ends up being a useful player, especially if you're if you're getting him in like the the nineteenth round. And do you think my my assessment is correct that um, if they do go tight end early, that 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 player will will kind of keep Ferguson's price down? I can't see them. I can't see them taking a round one tight end unless that player is going to start, which is again part of why I don't think they will. Uh, I think Ferguson would be like a third or fourth round pick again in this draft. You know, there's, there's, there's guys in this draft who will be as good as him or better. I just don't know why Dallas would really be in the market for them when they are largely similar to prospect level as Ferguson and Hendershot, who they already have and who are already very cheap. Yeah. Already cheap already like have a year of, of, you know, playing in the NFL on under their belt uh, tight end, obviously a, a, a notoriously like tough transition uh, for, for rookies. So you already kind of have that, out of the way with, with I'd say with, they'll take like they'll take like Luke Schoonmaker in round like the the late fourth or something. That's what Dallas will do. And it's time for the Matador to dance with the blind Schoonmaker. Is um, it Schoonmaker? I, sorry, I, I I I knew there was that band called Schooner Fair, and I didn't know if you pronounced it like that, like the boat. Uh, I just Irish I wanted boat. to uh, I wanted to tie in the the Ricky Bobby quote as oh, well sorry. as I could. Um, yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen in, in that one. Uh, as Jean Gerard talking about the the Matador. Um, moving on, or I guess one last Cowboys detail. You mentioned you know the the offensive line and defensive line issues, and they also brought in Ronald Jones, like you said, at, at running back. That they got Tony Pollard playing on the franchise tag. There is no Ezekiel Elliott there anymore. Would it be on brand though for them to go after Bijan Robinson? I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, it, it's it, it's it's kind of it's it's easy to forget. Like Ezekiel Elliott was picked high, yes, and there were detractors even at the time. Even I was one of them. I was like, I'm I'm obviously like pro running back, whatever. But even I was saying at the time, Jaylen yeah, Ramsey. they should take they should take Jalen Ramsey in the first and Derrick Henry in the second. And um, not that I had Henry, I didn't have enough you know, guts to rank Henry ahead of Elliott, but it was clear like they should take Ramsey in the first and then uh, they should take Henry in the second. But there wasn't really, there, there wasn't really like an emphatic 
or even good case, in my opinion, like against the pick. Uh, it was like we knew Elliot was going to go a couple picks later if he didn't go there. And Elliot, as a prospect, is much better than B. John Robinson as a prospect, even though you got a lot of people who have been paying attention for, to football for like three years and only on spreadsheets and live scoring pages and so far as they have. And those kinds of people are, I seem to think like, oh, B. John Robinson must be like a top five running back all time because look at how high his projected draft capital is. No running back is any good. So if he's projected to be this valuable, he must be good. And that's not how anything works. They might learn eventually why but uh suffice to say in the meantime even jerry jones would not mistake b john robinson for ezekiel elliott even with the texas thing uh jerry's more of an arkansas homer traditionally he's not i don't think he has a big like texas uh allegiance you got that right actually that was was a test you passed Uh. (laughs) that's a that's a good test (laughs) thank you thank you you know someone you know someone's really cool when they know that one (laughs) Horns down. Um, uh, Let's get on to our next topic. But before then, message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So again, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, free agent now. And one of the potential landing spots for, for him was the Buffalo Bills. That is no longer the case because the Buffalo Bills went ahead and they signed a younger uh, player who can fill the similar function. That's Damian Harris. Um, So what did you think of that move? Well, I like Harris. I think he's definitely a really good runner. And it's it's so funny. There's this there's this I guess all uh, fan bases go through a sort of uh, I don't even know what you like life's life cycle span sort of like they they all they go through phases of uh i guess they start out as larva and uh go so on um for for, forgetting that uh that that like 
when you start out, you have the low expectations and you're, you're kind of like, you, you go six and 10 and you're like, we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. And that was the Bills like four years, Bills fans like four years ago. Then like three years ago, they became uh, whatever, like arthropods and started to get like more realistic ambitions. They started getting like a more discerning taste for players. You know, not everybody on our team, we vote for the Pro Bowl anymore, just the ones who really deserve it. Mm-hmm. And then they get like kind of full of themselves. They're like, yeah, we're, we're winning the Super Bowl this year, the year after that, the year after that. And if they don't, if they don't win the Super Bowl that year, then they despair and, you know, get, get all like depressed and overreact to everything way too negatively. And I don't know what um, insect or whatever phase that this is analogous to, but uh, now Bills fans react to everything that the team does as they criticize it and say like, Oh, we suck now. Or at least a bunch of these people do. And so they're looking at Devin Singletary leaving and cutting Isaiah McKenzie. And they're like, I'm done with this team. It's over for (laughs) us. We don't have Singletary. We don't have McKenzie. The haters were right. Why live? And um, it's like, you guys, you got to settle down. This is actually really, Singletary sucks. McKenzie sucks. So even if Harris and Deontay Hardy suck, it's just not a big deal. And check this out. They don't suck. Damian Harris is definitely a better runner than Devin Singletary. It's not a question. It's clear. He's a better runner than Singletary. And he's he's probably no worse as a pass catcher. Like Singletary is not a good pass catcher. Singletary is a fumbler. Singletary is slow. So Harris will take whatever work Singletary would get, and he will give you more. It's as simple as that. The question is how much can Harris hold up to? Because he's been hurt pretty much, especially last year and a little bit the year before that. I don't know if it was toward the end of the year, but he he definitely had something the year before that, even while he ran for 15 touchdowns. So I don't know how much Harris can handle, and I actually wonder if if the Bills – I don't know if they plan on keeping three or four running backs. They could add somebody else. Uh, I don't think it'll be Ezekiel Elliott, but it could be like another cheap veteran who's just like a little bit different, I guess. I don't know. Um, but but Harris is better than Singletary, and Deontay Hardy is way better than Isaiah McKenzie. So those those two moves are are going to give those two moves give the Bills like I don't know, uh, like a good two hundred and fifty more yards from scrimmage than they had last year on the same usage for those for for, for McKenzie and Singletary. So, uh, yeah, Harris is a good pickup. I, I don't know what to make in fantasy, though. It's uh, He's definitely – he could be quite valuable. If he stays healthy, he'll be really valuable. Um, I just don't know what's, you know, a reasonable expectation there when he's been hurt so much. So, it, it, yes, the the injury is obviously a problem. 12th round, that's that's where he's going right now. Yeah, Five yeah, stuff. totally good there. I mean, I'd like to get some Damian Harris. I wish I picked him before because before he was going in like the 16th or something, and that's those days are gone. Yes, yeah, un- unfortunately, but yeah, ADP around 140 uh, right now. Uh, with, with the you know sort of running back musical chairs, I think again the, the Bills were were kind of one of the big obvious teams that that needed to add um, a, a power back um, like a Damian Harris or, or an Ezekiel Elliott. Is there anywhere else that that kind of sticks out to you as potentially being in need of of a guy like Ezekiel Elliott's services? I feel like somewhere he'll definitely play. Uh, and if I had to pick, not, I don't want to like restrict the list exactly because Elliot could be probably slash is uh, slash probably is um, resigned to being a backup. And I think pretty much any team would look at Ezekiel Elliott and be like, Oh yeah, we will have you as a backup. Sure. Um, so there, there are some teams that's not the case for, I, I know that I, I'd say like you know, Chicago, they got two people, the 49ers, they got enough. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. 
But I look at the Chargers, and it's like, yeah, they they actually really need Ezekiel Elliott or somebody yes. who can do what he can do. Uh, maybe the Browns. I don't know what they think of uh, Jerome Ford. Maybe the Buccaneers. Uh, it could be an answer that we, you know, is is not pleasant for anybody. But um, I think the people who are counting out Elliott are not really paying that much attention. And and I, I think, um, you know, he, we're not done seeing him. No, he's just 27, which is crazy also. Yeah, he's taking a beating for sure. But, I mean, as much as you see these statements about, like, oh, his burst is gone, we also don't know how much – this could just be a case against, you know, the durability case against him. But we don't know how healthy he's been the last two years. We knew he played upward of six weeks last year on like a bum MCL or something. So mm-hmm. it, it's not a shock that the guy who took all the the highest impact collision carries in the Dallas offense, all the, the short yardage, the most uh, bruising work, also was hurt all the time. You know, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's if he's playing off the bench. He might look a little more spry, and especially if he's getting some off tackle carries for once. Yeah, I, I'd love to see that. And and yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the gone are the days of him being overutilized. Um, I, I think that, you know, him in a more cura- carefully Philly? curated role. Maybe Philly. Some, you might see him go to some team that's uh, very smart with the cap and comp picks because he won't count toward the free agency tally uh, that determines comp pick eligibility. So you can sign Elliott and uh, if, as long as you lose one more free agent than you sign, uh, you'll be eligible for whatever comp picks the, the, the signed away players would get. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, 3D chess there. Um, let's round it out, sticking in the state of Texas one more time. Devin Singletary goes to Houston. Are you, does this worry? I don't, I think I know the answer to this question before I even ask it. Um, but, you know, how much more of a buy is Damian Pierce now because of this? Well, um, in the if if it especially if it results in his price going down, that would be I think the impetus to buy Pierce because I, I thought he was already acceptable. What was it like? Must be like late sixth or early. Yeah, sixth got it. Got him in. Got him mid sixth uh, this okay. week. I got him right at ADP, right at sixty six, uh, and he signed. Uh, or I'm sorry, Singletary signed like a couple of hours after that. Okay, so there's there are some very uh, widely read, widely viewed uh, analysts' modes of analysis that pull the uh, alarm, you know, the fire alarm, the second, for, for Pierce, they pull the fire alarm. Like, oh, God, oh, God, they signed Devin Singletary. David, we told you, low draft capital, d- d- got to get rid of Pierce. It's over for Pierce. You, see, when you when you jam the projections into the, the, the projection machine, it says uh, Devin Singletary gets a third of the carries, and so uh, that, that means it will happen. That's not really how things work. That's not how teams build their offenses. That's not how practices occur and game plans come forth it's like they have to build an offense by some theory or another they have to build an offense and this theory no matter what it looks like will have a certain amount of running amount of passing to be done and certain types of the two tests within that so in the case of houston's you have the consideration of running between the tackles that's or at least that's all singletary can do singletary can't do anything as a pass catcher singletary is not even an off tackle can He's between the tackles. He's he's uh, too slow to get to the edge, and he's too small to take on volume. And he can't break tackles without dropping the football, as his fumble rate has shown. So 
there's there's certain things Singletary can do, but those are the only things he can do. He won't be put on the field for other made up reasons. And as far as that thing he can actually do, Pierce is still better at every turn. Uh, Pierce running last year for 4.3 yards per carry on 220 carries is an exceptional accomplishment given how dead that offense was around him. And I know there's probably a lot of people who look at you know, Singletary running in Buffalo. Well, he's got 4.6 yards a carry. Look, at he's got 800 yards uh, on just 177 carries. Look at the tape. Watch how far off the defense is. Watch how many of his carries resemble draws. Uh, running in an eye formation between the tackles is a different game entirely, especially if the defense is not scared to death of Josh Allen throwing over the top of them or running through them or running around them. So with Houston, uh, Singletary is not going to find such wide gaps in the defense. The defense is going to be playing narrower gaps. They're going to be ready for him. And the, you know, the, the run, the, the real run really hard thing that he does that, that, you know, getting yards after contact, he'll do that, but he'll be able to do it only because he's playing off the bench and he's only doing it five, six times a game. If Singletary has to do it 15 times, all of a sudden he doesn't have anything. The burst will go. He'll just start looking sluggish and sl- in addition to slow. Uh, so that's how I see it going. Singletary is to me just like an off the bench mascot kind of player. And um, because he can't do anything, literally not even one thing as well as Pierce, Singletary's usage is subject to Pierce's availability, not the other way around. No, but I, I, I'm in agreement there. I'm, I'm definitely not worried about Pierce as a result of this. And I, I think it, if anything, uh, it makes you feel better about the idea of Houston not spending like a day, a day two pick on, on yeah. a running back. It, Maybe like a pass catcher. Like they, they still might get someone like whatever, like Ty J Spears or something like that. And I know that would be a, a whole other. Oh, thing, man. But, yeah, wherever he goes, it's going to be so buzzy. But yeah, Pierce, Pierce. I, I'll just say this. I would have been much more intimidated if it was like Ezekiel Elliott or um, even like Dontrell Hilliard because uh, <laughs> Hilliard can be a passing down guy and, and Singletary can't. So I think Singletary is actually, yeah, like a pretty pretty close. To, maybe it's not the best case scenario, but it is among the gooder case ca- uh, scenarios, I think. for Right. If, Pierce. You, if you were going to do the, this entire offseason and the only competition that's added for Pierce ends up being Singletary and then like a sixth or seventh round running back, they I, need I feel Pierce like he, more than ever, yeah, or yeah, as much feels, as possible. Anyway, 100%. Um, I think that, that that pretty much settles it. I think we, we've gotten to all the major uh news items of the week and so on. Good, some good analysis there. Uh, really, Texas uh focused on this one in the, in the second half, but thoroughly enjoyed it. But again, that's going to do it for us here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast again. Presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Use that promo code RWNFL. Get that deposit match. Get that free six-month subscription to rotowire.com. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.